Today's episode is sponsored by Podcorn, who I have to say is wonderful. When I decided to start my podcast, I wondered how I could make maybe a little bit of money on the side on my new venture. Thankfully, I found Podcorn, not popcorn, Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace for podcast sponsorship opportunities, and it is for podcasts of all size. Other sites I reached out to told me to get back with them when I hit 5,000 downloads, not Podcorn. Their platform let me view all sponsorships and send proposals for the opportunities I feel are the best fit for my show. I still own my own podcast. And guys, the team at Podcorn has been there for me the whole way. Shout out to Todd and Simon at Podcorn who are always there to help me. Got questions for them? No problem. They help me out almost immediately. So if you're thinking of starting a podcast or already have a podcast, or if you want to get your company or brand out to a wider audience, go to our show notes and click on the Podcorn link and start browsing. Thank you, Podcorn, for sponsoring this episode and for being a great platform for podcasters. Hello, fellow court killers. I am Terry Dussold, your host, and I want to thank you for joining me today as I share with you a case that has lies, affairs, open marriages, and murder. Hello, true crime and wine time friends. If you are addicted to true crime and wine time and want to help us keep the wine flowing and show your support of the show, you can join our Patreon family at patreon.com slash true crime and wine time. We have several different tiers and something for everyone. By joining our Patreon family, you will get all episodes a day early and each tier has additional content like extra episodes, Q&A with me, your host, blooper reels, and much more. So, go support us today at patreon.com slash time. For today's episode, I am enjoying my all-time favorite St. Supery Sauvignon Blanc. And guys, all you need to know is that this wine pairs perfectly for everything, in my opinion. Plus, it brings back great memories of time I spent with my mom at the winery and sharing a glass. So let me get this open. I should have maybe prepped a little better, but, you know, little nerves with going live for the first time, because who likes the way they look on video? Not me. Okay, let's see if I can get this. Okay, here we go. Nice. And then today I'm drinking out of a cup that I got from my dear friend, Leslie, that says, shut the fuck up, buttercup. Kind of like it. So I hope you're all pouring something, getting ready. Let me get this going. 
One thing I have found while drinking my wine during these episodes is my mouth gets really dry. So today I also have a little bit of water in a bottle for me. See if that helps because let's be honest, I'm not giving up my wine. Anyone that knows me knows that for a fact. So let's see. As always, perfect. This episode contains graphic content, adult language, and may not be suitable for all listeners. If you're a tad bit prudish or you get embarrassed easily, you might want to skip this podcast. So today, I want to tell you about Sabrina Sanmillan. She met Robert, who went by Rob Lamone, at a barbecue in 1999, and the two hit it off and began dating. There were sparks flying. In fact, one of their friends said he knew immediately those two were destined to get married. Have you ever had that? You know, you just see a couple and you're like, that's going to be it. Well, guess what? They did. August 19th, 2000, Sabrina and Rob Lamone were married in a large church wedding in Prescott, Arizona, in front of their family and friends. Sabrina and Rob eventually moved to Silver Lakes. Rob worked for BNSF Railway. Sabrina stayed at home for a little bit. Now, Sabrina met Kelly Bernatine in 2007 when Sabrina went into Kelly's salon for a haircut. The two were instant BFFs. So not only did she find an instant connection, get a husband, she got an instant BFF out of it. Sabrina and Kelly introduced their husbands, and the two became best buds. They were like bros. Jason and Rob had more than just their beautiful blonde wives in common. These two couples, they all were just friends, the four of them. Even some called them part of the wolf pack. They had a lot of other friends in the area. The two couples were known for hanging out several times a week together and on the weekends. The friendship progressed and the couples moved into an open relationship or what some call a swinger lifestyle. It is said that they partied with other couples, but that Kelly and Jason were their primary extras. Now, I want to put this out there before anyone starts sending me emails and talking. Hey, open marriage, extra partners, if you're adults, Everyone agrees you've got boundaries. Hey, it's not my place to say. You do you. That's all I got to say. Now, Rob and Sabrina had a son and daughter during their marriage, and everyone said they were great parents. They doted on their kids. They loved spending time with them and their friends. It was truly a happy, happy home and a happy place. However, Sabrina got bored after the kids started school. So she decided to look for a part-time job that would still allow her to be there for her kids. Her main priority was still being a mom, but she was bored. She didn't want to sit at home and watch, you know, daytime soap operas. I mean, who does that are a part of our generation? So in 2012, Sabrina was hired at Costco to hand out food samples on a part-time basis. Sabrina? I'm just going to say, 
as of right now, I like you. Unfortunately, I know what happens in the rest of the story. So I have to say, no, I don't like you, but I like the free samples you gave out. Okay. She was hired to hand out those samples that some of us love. The customers loved Sabrina. She had an outgoing personality. She just radiated. She remembered their name. She would say, hi, Joe. How are you doing? How's your wife feeling? I mean, she was just all around good with the customers and truly cared about her job and the people. Now, during the winter of 2012, Sabrina struck up a conversation with a new customer. It was a guy named Jonathan. Jonathan was a firefighter for a local firehouse, and he was there to stock up on food for the station. Yeah, guys, it's not just on Chicago Fire or 911. They actually stock up the firehouse. Kind of cool, right? While talking, Sabrina told Jonathan about her friend, Jason, who was also a firefighter. And she was surprised to find out that Jonathan and Jason had once worked together. She thought, how cool is that? Now, when Sabrina and Kelly were hanging out and gossiping, Sabrina told Kelly about the firefighter she met. And of course, that night, Kelly asked Jason if he knew him. And as you can imagine, John, Jonathan, there is a lot of guys that go by that name. And, you know, Sabrina had told Kelly he works out at the Redlands. And when Kelly told Jason, he goes, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He we worked together briefly. He helped fill in at another station. And Jason said he was very impressed with Jonathan because he was an excellent young paramedic. Several months later, Sabrina, Rob, Kelly, and Jason, they were out celebrating March birthdays. And Jason saw Jonathan at the bar. He introduced Jonathan to Kelly, who then waved over Sabrina to say hello. Now, Sabrina was dressed for a night out on the town in a short blue dress. Very short, must I say. And all of her assets were on full display. Well, guys, Sabrina ran over, threw her arms around Jonathan, and gave him a big hug. Now, Kelly, being the BFF, took a picture of the couple and posted it to Facebook, along with other pictures from the night. Sabrina, Kelly, and the rest of the gang finished partying and celebrating the birthdays, while Jonathan went off and hung out with his own friends, did his own thing. Everyone was happy with their night. They were feeling good. Everybody was buzzed. Everyone was happy except Rob. Once they got dropped off at home, the couple got into a huge fight. Rob was not happy with how much attention Jonathan gave Sabrina that night. Now, Rob was not aware that Sabrina and Jonathan knew each other before that night from her job at Costco. She had never told him about meeting, you know, Jonathan. Apparently, Jason hadn't either. But Rob asked Sabrina in an accusing way, hey, is there something going on between you and that guy? You know, Sabrina said no. Well, Kelly quizzed Sabrina about Jonathan after Sabrina was like, yeah, Rob got all upset 
And Kelly was like, well, is there something going on? Sabrina assured her, you know, BFF that Jonathan, who was 10 years younger than her, come on, really? He's 10 years younger. It's like a baby. And we're just friends. I mean, someone 10 years younger than me, I couldn't keep up. Jason and Kelly later say that they noticed some changes in Sabrina over the next several months. And once, when Kelly asked Sabrina if she had seen Jonathan at the store lately, Sabrina snapped at her and said, I don't want to talk about it. Just stop asking me. Hmm, a little snappy turtle going on. What do y'all think? Now, sometimes later, Jason got a text from Jonathan asking for Rob's phone number. Jason, you know, picked up the phone, called Jonathan and said, hey, dude, why do you need to talk to Rob? And Jonathan just stammered. Jason says he got a very funny feeling and asked Jonathan if he had something going on with Sabrina. Jonathan assured Jason. No, it's nothing like that. He and Sabrina were just friends and that Sabrina was really important to him. This kind of pushed Jason over the edge and he went off on Jonathan and told him that Sabrina was his best friend's wife and he needed to stay away from all of them. Now, guys, little did Jonathan know that Jason and Rob were together working on a house renovation project. Okay. So once Jason finished yelling at Jonathan, he handed the phone to Rob and told him, I don't know what was up, but that Jonathan wants to talk to him. And then he thought it was something bad. Rob surprised Jason by saying, I know. Rob took the phone from Jason and walked off so that he could have a private conversation with Jonathan. Oh, guys, that just makes my heart hurt. So he apparently suspects something, right? Rob and Jonathan talked on the phone for a while, and Jason said that Rob wasn't acting mad, that they talked on the phone for a while, and they looked like they were just having a normal conversation. Now, after Rob finished his call with Jonathan, he told his friend that his wife and Jonathan had been seeing each other at work and that they had an intellectual relationship that turned into an emotional relationship. Okay, guys, did you all hear that? They had an intellectual relationship that progressed into an emotional relationship. Rob told his friend Jason, he goes, I know it's much more than that. And that he had read several pages worth of messages on Sabrina's phone from Jonathan and that Jonathan was expressing his love for Sabrina. Rob went on to tell Jason that when he found out he was upset and he smashed Sabrina's phone, but that after talking, you know, he and Sabrina worked things out. Rob told Jason, hey, Jonathan was just calling to apologize and to assure him that he wouldn't have anything to do with Sabrina again. 
Rob assured his bro, Jason, that, you know, everything was going to be okay. Everything's cool. We're all good. Sabrina and I are good. Jonathan's good. And guys, they were for some time. In the first months of 2014, things would once again go astray. Kelly and Jason stopped by Costco where Sabrina worked with Kelly running in real quick. You know, Jason stayed out in the car with the kids. We've all done it. Once in the store, Kelly was going down an aisle. Guess who she saw? Sabrina and Jonathan hanging on to each other and laughing. Apparently, Sabrina was on her break. And when her eyes locked with Kelly, she knew she was busted and things were about to blow up. Kelly was furious. She turned to leave the store with Sabrina following her. Now, Kelly was able to get out of the store without talking to Sabrina, and she was pissed. She was pissed off. Just she was furious. When she got back into the car, she told Jason exactly what she had seen. Guys, Jason was just as pissed. He was like furious. Jason picked up his phone and he called Jonathan and he told them to stay the fuck away from Sabrina. Now, Jonathan seemed to get the hint, and no one told Rob what had transpired. They didn't want to make the situation worse. You know, Kelly and Jason were like, you know, we don't want our friends to split up. Let's not cause any drama. Kelly, Jason, Sabrina, and Rob, they all continued to hang out. But things had cooled off between Kelly, Jason, and Sabrina. It said that Rob didn't seem to notice anything. And everybody said it seemed like Jonathan was staying away. Just Kelly and, you know, Jason were like, you know, let's just back off. We just don't trust Kelly. I want to thank you for listening to True Crime and Wine Time. And if you enjoy our podcast, it would mean the world to me and Handsome Hubby. If you would go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and give us a review, five stars in one sentence, it only takes a minute and means the world to us and helps keep that wine flowing. On August 17th, 2014, Sean Ware, who's the evening operator, at BNSF, he pulled up to work. He was surprised to see the metal door closed because it was a hot day. And typically the daytime operator, which is Rob Lamone, kept the door open so he could get better ventilation. Sean figured Rob forgot to tell him that he had a service call. So what does Sean do? He goes ahead and opens the big metal door. Sean immediately Hairs on the back of his neck stood up. He immediately knew that something was wrong. The office door was open, but everything had been ransacked. Sean walked around the front of Rob's work truck and saw Rob Lamone leaning against his truck. Sean immediately called 911 and told them that his buddy was leaning against his truck 
was unresponsive and there was blood on the ground and everywhere. Sean then tried to perform CPR, but when he pushed on Rob's chest, blood just poured out of his mouth. The 911 operator told him to get out of the building and wait for the police and the ambulance to show up. What if the burglar was still there? When the officers arrived, they went in to check on Rob and found that his body was showing signs of lividity and he had bruises on his face and blood in and on his mouth. At 7.06 p.m., Rob Lamone was pronounced dead. Officers called in the crime scene group and the coroner. Immediately, officers and the team began securing the crime scene. The crime scene team and the detective arrived shortly after being called. They were like, we have got to get to work. What's interesting, upon entering the building, the detective noticed that the light fixtures above had been busted and that there was a bullet on the ground beneath the fixtures and that they thought the bullet was from a 44 or 45 caliber, which, guys, that's a very large and powerful gun. The detective looked around the building at the office that had been ransacked and in the employees area, and he felt just deep inside, he was like, something just not right here. It didn't feel like a normal burglary scene. He said it, it felt staged to make it look like a robbery took place. Now, the officers were talking to Sean and taking his statement. Told the officers that he had worked with Rob on and off for a couple years and that he was a good guy. He was married. He had two kids. He loved his wife. He, he was just all around great guy. Sean even told the officers, he goes, I can't think of anyone that would want to hurt Rob. And pay attention to this, court killers. Rob didn't normally work at this location. He normally worked at the Barstow Yard. Okay, put a pin in that. Sean went on to tell them that Rob had taken this shift at the last minute and was covering for a guy that normally worked who was out sick on vacation. He didn't know that's how Rob got there. Now, the officers found this little bit of information interesting since they felt this was a stage scene. This was not real. Sean also told the officers that all of their trucks had cameras and hopefully Rob's had caught something, especially the person who killed his friend. At 8.30 p.m. that evening, Two men who worked for BNSF went to Rob and Sabrina's home to inform Sabrina that Rob had died while at work that day and that all they knew at that time was that it looked like a head injury, but that they would know more soon. Sabrina's sister and her husband immediately came over to help Sabrina and they were trying to console her and the children while also trying to figure out what the heck happened to Rob. He's a nice guy. 
what do they mean a head injury? You know, they were just like, what happened? You know, like we all do. Sabrina's sister, Julie, called Rob's sister, Lydia, to tell her about Rob. And Lydia, along with her husband, Reyes, jumped into the car and headed straight to the Lamone house. Later in the middle of the night, Detective Meyer called to talk to Sabrina and asked some general questions about Rob, like, what time did he go to work? Why was he working at a different location? You know, just the general background questions, trying to piece together a timeline, a story, all of that good stuff. Then the detective asked what time and how had she found out that Rob died? And she told him about the two guys that came to her house from BNSF to tell her Rob died at work. Okay, I mean, guys, think about it. She found out from the job before the police officers. Okay, now Detective Meyer let Sabrina know that this was not an accident. Because, you know, that's what she was thinking. Sabrina began to cry and the detective gave her a bit to settle down before asking her if she knew anyone that Rob was having trouble with. And she said, no, never. Everybody loves Rob. He then asked that question that they always ask the spouse. How was your marriage? You know, Sabrina said there were no issues and that she loved Rob so much. Sabrina cried more and more, and she asked the detective, what happened? How did this happen? And they told her they didn't know, and that they were at the beginning of this. They had a lot of work to do, and Sabrina begged them to please let her know when they found out more information, because she didn't understand how this happened. Later, the detective would say that there were no red flags after talking with Sabrina. She seemed upset and confused, as anyone would expect her to be with her husband dying. She was truly distraught and concerned. Within the next 24 hours, an autopsy was performed. The medical examiner first documented a gunshot wound on the left side of his chin, where the bullet shattered the left side of the jawbone before grazing the spine and exiting the back of his neck. A second bullet wound was found in the upper right side of Rob's chest before bouncing around inside and puncturing his carotid artery and jugular vein. Without a doubt, the medical examiner said this was a homicide. There was no accident. Robert Lamone was laid to rest on Saturday, August 23rd, 2014, surrounded by his family, his friends, and his two very sad children. While Sabrina and the family were laying Rob to rest, the detectives were busy. They were looking into every aspect of the murder. They got lucky. There was a video of the guy who killed Rob. However, he was wearing dark clothes and you could only see his body. No face. Detective Meyer was getting frustrated by the lack of leads in the case. 
and was surprised when he got a call from Jason, Rob's best friend, saying, hey, I have a voicemail that he thought the detective needed to hear. Now, this is a quote from the court records. The voicemail said, uh, Jason, um, I, uh, I'd really like to talk to you sometime tonight. I, um, I just got back from San Diego and went into Costco and talked to Sabrina last night and heard about Robert. I'm a little just, uh, and you know what? I've been living so wrong. I just realized life is so short and short to have enemies. And you are someone I've always admired and respected for your wisdom. And you are, you've always been so kind to me. I have repaid that kindness with the fences and I'm hurting our friendship. And you know what I would like to? Um, I know it's asking a lot and I'm asking you now, though, you know, I did not sleep last night. I just, I just can't believe it. I feel numb. And, you know, I feel like God has crushed me and he has gotten my attention. And you know what, Jason? There's only two people in this world that I feel like um, I have offended. And I have never taken care of that offense. And that is you and your wife. And I am begging you on my knees right now that I could perhaps meet with you and your wife and say sorry for um, um, the hurt that I caused you. My pride and my arrogance, my selfishness, I never considered your feelings and never apologized. I did talk to Rob and that I was able to apologize to him. And that was. I was certainly hoping he forgave me, but I just realized life is so short and I am shaky right now and I'm sorry. And on and on it went with more ramblings, end quote. Okay, guys, that was hard for me to read, hard for me to type and, you know, put into this, but. Also very bizarre. Um, I want all of you, whether you get this in the Patreon or you hear it on a regular podcast format, send me a message, either an email on our Facebook page. I want to know what you think of that message because I've got a whole bunch of red flags going bing, 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 bing. Jason told the detective he received this voicemail from Jonathan Hearn on August 29th. 2014, and that he had no intentions of calling Jonathan back. Jonathan then followed up his rambling voicemail with text messages. And Jason replied, I got your message. I do not want to talk to you right now. Jonathan continued sending crazy texts to Jason. Jason tried to set up a meeting with the detective and Sabrina on the down low. 
When he told the detectives about Sabrina's past affair with Jonathan, he felt it was only right that she knew he was telling the police. So think about it. He tells Sabrina, hey, I want to talk to you, just you and I. But yet he invites the police. Sabrina is going to be surprised. The detective's there. Guess what? Sabrina did not show up. So Jason opened up and told the detective everything. There was no more hiding anything. There was no reason to protect Sabrina, anything. He was doing what was right for Rob. However, he also said he didn't think Sabrina had anything to do with Rob's murder. But he felt maybe Jonathan did. Detective Meyer told Jason to not tell Sabrina about their meeting as it would interfere with their investigation. Over the next weeks, Kelly and Jason still hung out with Sabrina and later said she acted like a grieving widow, exactly like you would expect her to be acting. She lost her husband, her best friend, the father of her kids. She was distraught, couldn't sleep. She was a true grieving widow. That did not last. On September 19th, 2014, when Kelly drove by Sabrina's house and saw a truck she had seen the previous week in the driveway. Kelly, when she talked to Sabrina, asked if this was Jonathan's truck. And Sabrina said no. Kelly, being Sabrina's BFF, could tell she was lying to her. Later that week, Jason ran into Sabrina and the kids at the local grocery store. They were buying some groceries. Jason saw them. The kids were so excited to see Jason. They ran up, gave him a big hug. They were like, oh, we miss you. And then told him all about their new friend, Jonathan. Sabrina instantly changed the subject to move the kids along. Come on, kids. We got to go. We got somewhere to be. Mm-hmm. Let's keep going. Jason, when they got home, called Detective Meyer and told him about the encounter and about the text messages he was still getting from Jonathan. The detective then met with Kelly to talk with her about Rob, about Sabrina, their marriage, and get the scoop. Kelly, like Jason, did not hold back. She even shared with the detective that Sabrina once told her that she and Rob used to swing with another couple, but that couple broke up and got divorced. Kelly said her and Jason partied with Sabrina and Rob, but never swapped partners. However, Detective Meyer found this interesting since there was a picture of Kelly topless on Rob's phone. So the detective's thinking, if you're not swapping, if you're not having a little extra activity, why is there a topless picture of you on your best friend's husband's phone? Detective Meyer was still working hard on Rob's case. And after talking with Rob and Kelly, he decided to do some checking on this Jonathan Hearn. Now, he was able to confirm that Jonathan had a truck that matched the one seen at Sabrina's as well as a motorcycle. The detective also learned that Jonathan owned several guns, including 
a 45 caliber pistol. Detective Meyer was feeling energized as the pieces were starting to fall in place. He was like, this is better than coffee. You see, security video footage that they had from Ops murder showed someone on a motorcycle with the helmet. And since Jonathan owned a motorcycle, it was looking like he potentially was the shooter. However, Detective Meyer knew he needed more evidence, so he went back to the basics, hit the streets, do some foot action. Doesn't mean he did it, but he sent officers to everything, gas station stores, everything around where um, Rob had been shot, restaurants, all of it, from BNSF, that location, all the way to, you know, to Rob's house. There was not a lot in this area, so the search should not take too long. Pay dirt. They caught the motorcycle on camera at a gas station. But suspiciously, the rider kept their helmet on and avoided cameras. Even when he went inside to make a purchase. However, this gave the detective enough to get a search warrant for Jonathan and Sabrina's phones. Once the records arrive, they begin the daunting, and when I say daunting, I mean daunting task of going through them. They found one number, are you ready for this, that had over 7,000 calls and texts from April to October. Guys, 7,000 I mean, I'm hoping the text was just like a K for K or a Y for yes, because 7,000 calls, text, that's a lot. So April, May, June, July, August, September, that's six months. And Jonathan had a job. How did this happen? They found one number, okay, that they could not verify who owned that phone since it was a pay-as-you-go or as people in the crime world like to call it, a burner phone. Now, the day of Rob's murder, this burner phone, there was a lot of activity on this phone between the caller, who they couldn't identify, and Jonathan. But detective knew they needed to know who was using that burner phone. He suspected it was Sabrina, but suspicion wasn't enough. So the detective secured a wiretap on Jonathan's phone and the burner phone, which I'm just going to say, court killers, I found that interesting. How do you get a wiretap for a phone that you don't know whose phone it is? Don't you have to put whose phone it is? I mean, that's just me thinking, but I don't care. Great job. Detective did a great job. This was a big undertaking as the team was already stretched, but they needed to know for sure that Sabrina was the one using the burner phone. They needed that to connect the dots. On the very first day of the wiretap, they had Jonathan and guess who? Sabrina Lamone on the line being all lovey-dovey. Yet... Sabrina was concerned as she heard that the police were close to arresting someone and that the phones 
may be tapped. I don't know where she heard it from, if it was an inside little birdie, I don't know. But somehow they learned, the detective, there was a leak. So Detective Meyer had no choice but to stir the pot. Detective Meyer sent Sabrina a text message to call me. And then he waited. (laughs) Yep, court killers, you guessed it. Sabrina immediately called Jonathan and told him the detective wanted to talk to her. So the two began, they began to pray. They prayed for Sabrina to have the strength to stay strong and to find the right words to say to the police. Okay, court killers, I'm going to sit back. I got to take a little sip here. You pray to God, asking that the wife of the man who was murdered have strength to use her words, the right words to say to the detective. when. She was just all lovey-dovey with another man. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking prayers do not work that way. If if you think I'm wrong, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm just saying I don't think that's right. I don't think it works that way. Sabrina then called Detective Meyer after all the prayers, who played it cool. He was calm, cool, and collect, and he told her, hey, just wanted to update you. and." that we're going to release the video footage from the murder scene to the public because they were at a dead end and had no suspects. And Meyer told her he was beginning to think it was a random murder, you know, just something that happened. Wasn't nobody was targeting Rob, just he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sabrina played the caring, loving widow, which I am guessing made Detective Meyer want to scream. Once Sabrina finished talking with Detective Meyer, she called Jonathan and told him everything was okay and she would see him at church and that she loved him. The next day, Detective Meyer decided, I was a little fun stirring the pot yesterday. I think I'm going to stir it again. He called Sabrina with the good news that they had a DNA profile from a drop of sweat, which was a lie, but Sabrina didn't know that. Detective Meyer also told Sabrina, hey, I need to talk to you one last time. I need to firm up your statement. And she said, sure, I can come in to talk with you. Not a problem. When Sabrina told Jonathan that the detective wanted her to come in, Jonathan told her, hey, I think we're being played. So Sabrina called the detective back and asked, hey, can we meet on Thursday instead of Wednesday? I've got some things to do. Detective Meyer was like, sure, not a problem. Little did Sabrina know that Detective Meyer and his team were still listening on all of Sabrina and Jonathan's calls to each other and listened to them continually pray say I love you, and how they talked about wanting to serve God. Sabrina's meeting went as expected with Detective Meyer. He told her again about the DNA, the video footage they had, and he thanked her for coming in. 
Sabrina and Jonathan thought, you know, great, things are going well. They continued their many daily phone calls talking about love, God, their affair, and so forth. And they thought, you know, Detective Meyer was just stirring stuff up. They didn't know. However, Jonathan was paranoid. Little Spidey Sense was telling him, I'm going to be arrested soon. Something's happening here. Don't know what. But he just had a gut feeling that it was about to all come to a stop. Hello, true crime and wine time friends. If you are addicted to true crime and wine time and want to help us keep the wine flowing and show your support of the show, you can join our Patreon family at patreon.com slash true crime and wine time. We have several different tiers and something for everyone. By joining our Patreon family, you will get all episodes a day early, and each tier has additional content, like extra episodes, Q&A with me, your host, blooper reels, and much more. So, go support us today at patreon.com slash truecrimeandwinetime. On Tuesday, November 18th, 2014, Jonathan Hearn was arrested at his fire station for the murder of Robert Lamone. Jonathan did not act surprised, and he was polite to the officers. Once they arrived at the station, you know, he was like calm. He's like, okay. And once they got into an interview room, Jonathan asked for an attorney. So there would be no questions. After booking Jonathan into the jail, the detective went off to find Sabrina. Sabrina, they had her detained at the elementary school, and she said she could not believe this was happening. Sabrina was her normally chatty self during the drive to the jail. She asked the detective if she could be arrested for having an affair. The officer said, no, you cannot be arrested for having an affair. She then said, God's spanking me right now for sure. I feel it. And once they arrived at the jail and settled into an interview room, the detective explained to Sabrina that she was not under arrest, but that she was being detained. Then Sabrina was read her rights, which she said she understood. Sabrina then answered their questions about Jonathan and her relationship. This is not going to be a surprise to you guys, but Sabrina was not truthful and she avoided answering some questions while claiming not to remember when asked others. I don't remember. I can't recall, you know, that game. Sabrina kept saying it was God's plan and that she could not believe that Jonathan would do something like kill Robert. The detective and other officers got tough on Sabrina. And flat out told her, you need to stop lying to us. They informed her that they had solid proof that Jonathan killed Robert. Sabrina turned on the tears, started crying, got all upset and hysterical. and Like, are you serious? You know, that whole game. They told her now was her one chance to be the mother she said she wanted to be for her kids. Sabrina then asked for an attorney, and 
all questions ended. Serena was then arrested and booked into jail. While being booked, Sabrina asked again to speak to Detective Meyer, the detective she had originally spoken to about Robert. The officers took Sabrina to meet with Detective Meyer, where she began talking again. The detective was like, Sabrina, tell me about Jonathan. Tell me how you met. How did you fall in love? So forth. This went on for some time. And Detective Meyer kept, you know, reminding Sabrina, hey, I need you to be honest. She didn't know that he already knew all the details about her affair. But then another officer came in, which I guess you can say good cop, bad cop. Officer Brewer laid into Sabrina and asked her, when did Jonathan tell you he had killed Robert? Did you help plan it? You know, just right in, just nailed it. She kept saying he never said that he shot Rob. Brewer said a jury will never believe you, just like I don't believe you. I think you're a liar. Sabrina said it was all her fault for having an affair with Jonathan and for telling Jonathan where Robert worked. That was as close as she would come to admitting anything. After about four hours of back and forth, the officers were done, put the cuffs back on Sabrina, reminded her, you're still under arrest for conspiracy to commit murder and accessory to murder, and took her to her jail cell where she belonged. Sabrina did not get a lot of sleep that night and was happy beyond belief when Detective Rutledge came to see her the next day. He brought her into an interview room and let her know that she would be arraigned at 3 p.m. that day and that if she wanted to talk to him, now is your chance. Detective Rutledge asked Sabrina if Jonathan killed Rob, and she said, yeah. Sabrina admitted she helped by telling Jonathan where Rob would be working that day, but stuck to her story that she did not plan for Jonathan to kill Rob. The district attorney charged Jonathan with first-degree murder and conspiracy with special circumstances of lying in wait and using a firearm. This made Jonathan eligible for the death penalty if convicted. Jonathan pled not guilty to all charges during his first appearance in front of the judge. The judge, of course, no one was surprised denied Jonathan bail due to the horrific nature of this crime. The district attorney did not feel there was enough evidence at this time against Sabrina, and he declined to formally charge her. She was released. As you can imagine, the media was all over her. They began talking to anyone and everyone, and the story went national. It was no longer just a little local story. It went full-blown media circus. Now, Jonathan Hearn had come from a Christian family, and people who knew him, his friends, his family, they were shocked at the charges that had been filed. Neighbors told reporters, Jonathan, he, you know, would hang out 
at Sabrina's house right after Rob's death that, you know, he was just trying to help the kids and the crazy headlines begin. California firefighter accused of killing his alleged lover's husband. And that was just the beginning. As we know, it gets with the media circus. Rob's family was not only dealing with the murder of their loved one. The news that Sabrina had had an affair with the person accused of killing Rob, but also Rob's dad died. And then his mother, it was a dark, dark time for the Lamone family. Sabrina had not been charged, but her life was not what it once was. Her friends turned against her. Her children were bullied at school. The press hounded her. They followed her everywhere, as you can imagine. But Sabrina stayed away. Jonathan went before the courts about eight months after his arrest for his preliminary hearing. Not long after Jonathan's preliminary hearing, Sabrina picked up, moved out of Silver Lake to Camarillo. Sabrina and her kids, they tried to restart their lives. A little over two years from the time Sabrina was first arrested, she was once again arrested in connection to her husband's murder. Sabrina's parents and sister were shocked at her arrest. They had not spoken to law enforcement in some time. They had no indication, hadn't heard any rumors that Sabrina was to be arrested. They were like, this is coming out of the blue. They tried to figure out what changed, why now? But they had no idea. So court killers, that is all for part one, Swinger Murder. Part two will be released in two weeks. I want to say our episode today was researched by Terry Dusold, edited by Phil Dusold. Our theme music is by Atticold. If you want to support me in true crime and wine time, please go to your favorite podcast app and review us. Honest reviews are always appreciated. You can also interact with me directly on our Facebook page at True Crime and Wine Time or on Twitter at Terry True Crime. Thank you for listening to True Crime and Wine Time. Until next week, stay safe, watch out for crime, and enjoy your wine time.